You're listening to Past and Present, the Colonial Williamsburg podcast. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Harmony Hunter. When you begin your visit to Colonial Williamsburg, the first site you'll come to is Great Hope's Plantation. This working farm is always a hub of activity, and historic farmer Wayne Randolph joins us now to talk about the cycle of work that carries them through the year. Wayne, thank you for being here today. You're welcome. Well, we're thinking about cyclical farming today and the pace and the rhythm of work throughout the year. But before we unpack that topic, tell us just a bit about Great Hope's Plantation for folks that might not be familiar with this working farm that is just a stone's throw uh, from the visitor center where most people's visit to Colonial Williamsburg begins. And if you walk to the historic area, you'll walk right past it and hopefully come in and see what life was somewhat like for those uh, uh, multitudes of Virginians who lived in the countryside. Most Virginians lived on farms or plantations, not in cities. So we are kind of a contextual site in that th this is what would be outside of Williamsburg. And it's just a small little snippet. It's just a small sample. And we do it as best we can with basically three topics that we interpret there, slavery, farming, and uh, wood woodworking. Those are the three unit, interpretive units that are at Great Hope's plantation now. And you have a historical analog. You are basing the operation of this plantation on one that uh, exists in the historic record. No. <laughs> we are basing it on an amalgam of plantations of a middling size, which is an arbitrary definition that uh, when we study uh, households, we, we have arbitrary uh, set of data that put people in sort of category, into levels of uh, particularly economic and social life. So we are focused at Great Hopes on a middling operation, and it, it really is an amalgam of various bits of information we have from various uh, middling plantations in York County. So it's as accurate as you can hope to be from history, but it doesn't represent an individual so much as, That's as you correct. say, an amalgam. Um, and just to set the sort of context um, for a discussion of farming, um, I think in modern times, farming has become less dependent on seasons. Um, and so when we look at the 18th century, we see the work of the year really being more driven by, more governed by the seasons. Is that a correct assumption? I'm not sure that's correct because the seasons affect modern agriculture just as they affected uh, historical agriculture in the plants to a large degree begin growing at a certain time. They need certain resources to grow, mature, and give us a sellable product or a usable product, and livestock as well. So that doesn't change much, except when we genetically engineer things, which is the case today. And that does influence, to some degree, the seasonality. But often we talk with our modern counterparts and they are having difficulty getting in, which means preparing and planting the crop, getting in, uh, just as we are for some weather reason. 
fascinating, but still at its core, farming, still very much the same game. It is still very much the same game. So let's talk about those seasons then throughout the year. Let's just talk about January. What is the farmer doing in the first month of the year? What does winter mean uh, for someone who works in agricultural trades? Cold temperatures, which allow us to do certain things and actually uh, uh, encourage us, us to um, be, say, in the woods, uh, getting uh, timber for fuel or for building materials, uh, catching up on repairs, which we'll be doing all through that cold months, the cooler months when plants do not really grow. Um, because we're so focused on field crops, tobacco, corn, wheat, and assortment of others, um, uh, and even with, with livestock, we don't see uh, reproduction occurring during those colder months. So that allows the labor to shift into picking up activities that are required, but that they don't have time for when the more dominant concern is being addressed, which is those plants and animals to an extent. So um, it allows us to mend fences, to dig ditches, to repair roads, to repair tools and equipment that need attention. Um, sometimes even building can happen at that time. We can direct our energy towards those areas um, that we cannot do when the weather says it's time to do something else. Then coming into the spring months, I assume you're looking at sowing, planting. Getting prepared, getting prepared and sowing and planting. Exactly right. That, that is exactly what we do. One of the issues that we have is that the springtime is also a time for rainfall, usually a little bit more rainfall during the spring. And that can put in uh, a, a, a complication in terms of getting the field prepared and getting that crop in. And that happens, as we mentioned, with modern farmers as well. They have a challenge getting in, getting underway with the growing year. We never know when this is gonna happen. So we're essentially in a relationship with nature where we're against nature because of what we're doing. We're trying to get something that's artificial, it's not natural, uh, with even a domestic plant. Um, uh, but we have to work with nature. So we're working against and with nature constantly, every single day. We're looking at a natural force we don't have any control over um, uh, with an artificial structure that we are trying to impose on nature, the land, and, and with the weather concerns. So, um, the springtime is, is a very important time, and its um, nature in terms of schedule will really set the course for what's going to happen later in the year. And then you come into summer when things are growing and you're going flat out. There's, there's, no, there's no quitting time. There's no vacation. 
when those things start growing. And that's where I think um, there's some divergence from modern farming in terms of what you've got to fight, what tools you have to fight pests, what tools you have to fight sort of blights and keep plants healthy, and manpower. Give us a sense of the labor required on some of these plants, just with tobacco. I mean, daily attention to every leaf. Every leaf. Tobacco, I like to say, to our guests, tobacco is grown leaf by leaf. We're examining or worming, as was said, our tobacco through the whole uh, middle time after it's been put into the ground and through the summer when it's expanding its leaf. And we're manipulating the way that that plant grows to produce something that's not normal at all. It's very artificial, but that's where we get our income is by manipulating the tobacco uh, with this extraordinary attention that it receives so that someone else will want this and pay a, a lot for it. That's where we want to be. So we're always trying to, to perfect our tobacco. And that means big, heavy, perfect leaves. And as many of those leaves as we can produce so yes, it's very active, very active, and that's just tobacco. We have corn, we may be working with wheat, harvesting uh, our wheat crop. We may be working with cotton or another crop as well. So we've run, run into that this year. We added uh, a grain crop that we're having some challenges addressing the needs of that grain crop. It's been said that the crops of tobacco, corn, and wheat meshed with the labor demands. I have not found that to be the case. And of course, when we come into fall, as we continue our march through the seasons, everybody associates uh, fall with harvest and processing your crops. Uh, is that just as busy a season as summer? It can be. Um, it, it's, it's interesting to think about that with the crops that we grow. Our small grains are usually finished by fall. Our uh, corn is... Um, uh, maturing and drying up in fall or dry and ready to come out, but this is not critical. Our harvest of our corn is not critical. It is today because we have deer and geese problems, but historically uh, we didn't have those problems. So uh, we can let our corn stay. And our tobacco um, is in the house, in the uh, tobacco house curing. So we're manipulating that and we have a little bit more time. So we actually find that the fall for us, just our experience at Great Hopes now, has actually tapered off a bit in terms of pressure. The weeds are of no great concern in the fall. Um, and uh, things are kind of starting to slow down a bit. Now, we still have things to do. We are busy and we do have processing to do, and a lot of that can focus around tobacco. But um, uh, it, it, it's not, we often harvest here in this latitude a little bit earlier than our neighbors to the north. So we don't really have these kind of classical harvest home sort of things going on here that you would see 
maybe in New England or perhaps the Middle States. In Virginia, we've gone from most people living on small rural farms to today, if you farm or if you grow something, maybe a garden, it's, it's relegated to more of a hobby status, maybe something you putter around with in the, in the spring and summer months. When we look at that difference in society and that difference in time, um, what is the importance of that that you try to share with visitors who visit you at Great Hopes Plantation and understand this slice of life from the 18th century so much that's so very different from our experience today? We were farmers and planters. That was our main activity. Today we might be office workers, service workers, or something else, you know. Um, but during our time, Almost everyone made a living by producing things from the land. That's, that's what you did all the time. That was your job. That was your occupation. You were a farmer. Almost all of us were farmers. A few people were not, but very, very few. And that was like that through a lot of the 19th century as well. So uh, uh, farming in our lives, or uh, just the whole activity of farming, is, is so obscure, so different than our lives today, so that when we have a garden at home, we're touching something that goes incredibly uh, far back and is so um, uh, uh, much a part of our cultural history, maybe even our psychological history, because it seems to me that um, uh, that we, we have a sense of wanting to be self-sufficient in some small kind of way. Um, and we also want to nurture. We have a nurturing nature about us. And there's nothing more nurture. Well, there is. Your own children are the most uh, important. But to nurture plants and animals is also very satisfying. And it goes very deep into humanity. What a wonderful thought. I hope that people will make a point of stopping by Great Hopes because there's so much to learn um, above the surface and below the surface. Uh, and, and we appreciate you coming by to talk about the work that's done year round and how we can think about that in terms of our lives today and our, and our ties to the past. Wayne, thank you for being here today. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. We're always glad to hear your feedback. Send us an email at podcast.history.org.